Welcome to your Making It Worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. Guys, is J.K. Rowling a transphobe? What do you think? You think? Do you think she doesn't like trans people? You know, I have to, I, I know I'll let you explain obviously what you're talking about, but you know, I haven't paid too much attention to what, to this story and maybe that's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's um your privilege privilege or irresponsible on my part i just like there's sometimes there's just stories that like like this one or like usually anything like kardashian related i i just it doesn't like i don't think about it because Mm -hmm. it feels like kind of ridiculous to me like i just don't care and this one i'm like one way or the other and from yeah but from the little that i know i'm like what the fuck is this lady's problem? Like all I know about, money, and that I know about it, I'm like, leave trans people alone. What do you, what do you care? What are you doing? Sure. But I don't right. know the, the details other than to yeah. be like, yeah, I guess she's transphobic because all she seems to care about is like talking about trans people. Yeah, exactly. What I is mean, that? I will say, um, because you did mention the Kardashians, I love the Kardashians <laughs> and I will always care. Thank but you. Do you watch the show? Uh, yes. Religiously. Oh my God. I just, it's like them or like, it used to be like Lindsay Lohan or Paris Hilton. Like I care about both of them as well. Yes. I never cared. (laughs) And it, and it always, it's not that I had, had anything against those people. It just doesn't register in my brain. It's interesting though. I'll do you one better. I'd outside of Kim, I couldn't pick any of the others out of a lineup. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I'm I'm sure I would recognize their faces, but I couldn't describe them to you. It's right so now. Interesting. I'm not going to pretend like I've never seen them, but I just, I don't, I don't think I would know that they were a Kardashian. I would, I would just maybe recognize that they are famous I find it, faces. I find it interesting that you lump JK Rowling, you know, probably <laughs> one of the most esteemed <laughs> authors of in right. history, really at this point yes. with the Kardashians. <laughs> like that to me, it feels there's not quite a comparison there, so but whatever. Funny. Okay. Um, that is so, so funny and so true. It's uh, yeah. so, so weird. J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling, y'all. Um, she has a, sort of a short history. It's only really been since 2018, but in 2018, she has been tweeting very sort of uh, incendiary things about the trans community and specifically about the identity or the gender identity of women and protecting that women can call themselves women or something. I don't quite understand the logic, but uh, back in 2018, she sort of joked about men in dresses, talking about a, a trans, a UK trans worker who, or UK worker who was fired for not standing up or standing against a trans. It was a really long convoluted story, but whatever. She was standing up for this woman who was fighting back against trans people in the UK, which felt very strange and off-brand for J.K. Rowling. And then this Mm -hmm. year, just recently, she um, joked about an article that was trying to be gender-inclusive and say people who menstruate, because they weren't necessarily assigning a gender to everybody who menstruates. Um, And she joked in her tweet, she said, people who menstruate, uh, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out here, woman. And she kept misspelling sort of the word women. Uh, which just felt very much like a Trump 
tactic in a strange way. And then she doubled down and she said, I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex, when she says sex, she's talking about gender, erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth, which again, sounds a lot like a Trump tweet. Um, and then yeah, well, when you, when you preface something with, it's not hate or I'm not racist, but you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, well, exactly. You're, you're setting it up already. Well, there were, of course she got like a huge backlash to her tweets as you know, you would expect her to in this day and age, but the biggest backlash came from Harry Potter himself. Of course. Daniel Radcliffe, who wrote in a very lengthy statement uh, posted to Trevor Project, because Daniel is the last person in the world to not have uh, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook page at all. He has nothing. Oh, Um, nothing. He has nothing. He wrote, transgender women are women. Any statement to the contrary erases the identity and dignity of transgender people. That was just part of his statement. And he did go specifically into talking about his relationship with Rowling and how, yeah, she's, she's responsible for his livelihood at this point, his career. Like she gave him that, but that it's a subject matter that she, he definitely differs with JK Rowling on. And then Rowling later in response to all of the backlash wrote this really convoluted 3,500 word statement about how she's researching a book and it deals with gender identity. And that's why she's so interested in this topic right now. And, and, and all, and then she even brings up how she's a sexual assault survivor, which is, I mean, it's fantastic that she has the, the, I mean, she's very protected with her money and everything, but she has the um, gumption to be able to talk about that openly, which I think is wonderful. Uh, but she, what does it have to do with exactly? People friends? are talking about how it's sort of separate, but she's she's not really getting the the root of the point here, which is gender is a social construct, and trans women are women. That's really not that confusing. I just don't understand. I tr- I truly like even hearing all that. I'm like, yeah, I still don't understand what she like gives. What is she's so passionate about? Why she goes out of her way to make well, statements about it's like who, who part of her statement you? part of her statement i did think was interesting i i still think she's batshit crazy and she has her billions <laughs> and is driven is driven her mad but um part of her statement was that she is a former educator and she she talked about the need to sort of yes of course support marginalized communities but at the same time also like understand that that language and the way we identify certain things within language shouldn't be attacked because we want to preserve sort of this part of people's identities. And, and it's just, it's a really convoluted backwards way of thinking, but it's there. And I think she represents a lot of people who haven't been exposed to trans people, at least that they know of, and, and have a very ignorant outlook on sort of gender identity. But I wouldn't say necessarily a malicious outlook, but a very ignorant yeah. outlook. I don't know. Brent, what do you think? I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, this, this was, this was an instance of outrage. I, I, I couldn't quite follow, but I also, I, I, I have no particular stance. <laughs> I do. <knew. laughs> well, it's just like, I mean, there is no, it's the, 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 like the, the wild element of it all is that what, there's not really a stance to take other than like, you're wrong or, I, I it's like I don't know I can't even really tell what's right or wrong it just seems like yeah it just it just seems like 
dumb and it's just, it's idiotic at this point yeah, i mean idiotic. you know you know how many twitter followers you have you know right. the brand you have why as a public figure would you think that this was a good thing to tweet into the world that that's, that's what really astounds me like you can have your ignorant beliefs in your castle in scotland but like i mean i don't support them but you can have them why would you share it with the world and risk the thing that you created that is so cherished well, in the world. That's the thing. It's like you created Harry Potter. You like, it's, I mean, it, it she kind of like ushered this like literature, this fervor for literature yeah. back into like elementary schools and libraries. And she did so much good. And I'm just like, wait, why all of a sudden, like 20 years later, are you like, okay, let me like, let me light everything on fire. It's just, it is so odd and feels arbitrary. And my only, my only instinctive response would be like, what is going on with you, lady, yeah. that makes you it kinda, interested in, like, picking apart the – parceling the trans experience? Like, mm -hmm. what are you doing? It reminds me of a thing we talked about recently that Brent brought up about uh, on the episode with May Martin, how May and I were obsessing over our love for Miss Bette Midler, a <laughs> dynamic and wonderful human being in the world, and how Bette Midler, in the early days of sort of the gay rights, same-sex marriage movement, uh, she sort of said – something pretty derogatory about gay people and same-sex marriage and the right to same-sex marriage and how she was so out of touch with the moment and so disconnected from the people in a way, I think because of fame. Is that what it was? 2003? It was that, 2003. That, that you're so disconnected because of your fame, because of your access to stuff, whatever, that you don't quite understand what's happening on the root level, the people, and what they're feeling right now. And you say stupid shit when you're disconnected. Yeah, I, I, that was that felt like less derogatory. Unless and Brent, you can. Obviously. Oh, I I think it was. Oh, see, I'm think I just thought it was like, what? Like, bet what are you doing? Just like, why are you not? Why are you not on board with gay marriage when like you used to perform in the baths bathhouses? I like, think that's why people think it just means she's in her castle. Like J.K. Rowling is also because J.K. Rowling famously, who is it? Gryffindor, who's who's a gay in the novels or something? Like she's spoken oh, right, out. Right. She's spoken out and been very inclusive in the past over Harry Potter and Harry Potter. Daniel Radcliffe himself is is you could call him a huge gay rights advocate. His yeah. his main charity is Trevor Project, and so like. The Harry Potter brand has been very inclusive with LGBTQ people in terms of how yeah. they've painted it. So why is she now doing this? Yeah, I guess it's at the end of the day, I'm just like, what is what is happening? Like, what trans person or text or something made you snap, lady? Because mm -hmm. you look crazy. Mm -hmm. Who put a chocolate frog in her <laughs> wand? <laughs> See what I did there. <laughs> Is that a Harry Potter thing? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay, now I know. <laughs> Not even joking. Okay, our guest today, I've been wanting on the podcast for a very long time. I'm so excited. It has happened. He's a dear friend of mine and probably one of the smartest people I know. Sorry. Mm, um, <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of this guy, but all right. <laughs> Zach Stafford. Zach. Hi, Zach. Hi. Oh, my God. It's so nice to be here and finally meet uh, everyone else, because I've heard so much about uh, Brett and Elliot. But not oh, thank you so sweet. much. Not very sweet. <laughs> I, I actually, all right, I, I like this guy now. I like him now. <laughs> I've been made talent for so long now. How yeah. I don't even know, but it's been a very long... I remember the, the, the first time we met, I think there were protesters. 
That would make sense. At the I'm convention or at that little kid in Kansas City, wherever that thing was. Oh my I God, think. it was in Kansas City, Missouri yes. at a LGBT conference we were both speaking at. Yes, that's yes. it. Yeah, when they were protesting. So that always protesting you? Uh, well, our presence, yes. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. They were, <laughs> we were happy. We were both. So yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. I forgot about that. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? Oh, well, you Zach- still get protested. Do you get do, Zach? Do you ever get like protests for anything? Not just blowback from the internet, but like you know, you you're an editor. You're you're thought piece, a think piece kind of guy. Like, do you face that still? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. Was it last year? I mean, we've all been in quarantine, so I haven't been like around large group people in a while, but. I remember like last year I was speaking in Chicago at the Museum of Contemporary Arts with uh, Jack Halberstam, the famous queer theorist. Mm-hmm. And we were in conversation and protesters showed up to that. Um, and um, it's because Chicago? Like Jack in Chicago, they showed up. Yeah. And like, uh, uh, sorry, run of the mill anti-gay protesters or like. So these were people that were mad at what something Jack had said about trans folk and Jack, I didn't a trans person, but they have very, complicated views on identity as a professor at Columbia University. Um, so they came to protest Jack. And then I also, at the time, so this is more than a year ago, I was still working at Grindr and they were mad at Grindr for some data problems. So then they started yelling at me and it was like 500 people in the audience, which is like, I believe in protests. Like I've been writing a protest for like a long time now and go to protest. Um, so I was like, yeah, yell at me. Like someone did some fucked up shit. Like yell, do yeah. it. Pretty yeah. much, I'm like, cool with that. But when H. Allen and I got protested, it was a, from Westboro Baptist Church. It was in yeah. Kansas City. Oh my God, that's my Brent's favorite church. Uh, my, my favorite. It oh, yeah. is. What's your favorite? Ask if you guys were protested by the WBC in Kansas. I've always just thought they're so funny. They're so hyperbolic. They're so yeah. ridiculous, uh, which is why I just thought, like, you know, it's like I, I think most people don't take them seriously, which is why I always – I would take w, WBC over – mainstream republicans you know i love an acronym i love a good acronym yeah. <laughs> Prince dropping these acronyms well before we go on i want to you know first off say obviously we're recording via zoom so that is why we all can't be with each other and maybe we sound the way we do so you're welcome internet it's wonderful times quarantine also i wanted to give zach a little bit of a credit boost because his list of credits is um a bit breathtaking so i'm gonna take a deep breath <gasps> He's currently the host of BuzzFeed's AM to DM. Love it. And, but I think probably, I mean, you were the editor of Grinders Initiative called Into, which was a wonderful, wonderful online magazine that, that really sort of, I mean, many people listening probably read it and loved it and shared all the stories. You also were named Forbes 30 under 30. That's a bragging element. That's a bragging right, one. I hate Zach again. I hate him. I you hate previously him wrote for The Guardian, but you were the first editor, black editor-in-chief in the 50-year-plus history of The Advocate, The Advocate yeah. magazine. So that's, I mean, that's pretty, that's applaud-worthy. Fantastic. Thank you. A first black. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was wild. It took 50 years and the magazine started because of police violence. I just think that's always like the wildest thing. Like it began because the police were rioting, or raiding a bar in Silver Lake in LA, uh, the Black Cat. Which Black was, like, Cat. That's right. Yeah. And like, that's how the magazine began. It's because mm-hmm. it was a newsletter, but it took 50 plus years for a black person to get a job. So, you know, yeah, yeah. it's interesting that the Black Cat usually gets, I feel like glossed over, for Stonewall, not that yeah. not that they're in competition with each other, but when I moved to LA and learned about the Black Cat um, 
the black cat uh, uh, revolution, I was, I was unaware of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting that there are like so many acts of resistance historically by queer people that we just don't talk about. And even in that moment in the sixties, where like the black hat happened, you know, two years before Stonewall, I think um, it was a really big deal. And then um, we also have the Compton cafeteria riots in San Francisco for 64, I believe, which was in the Tenderloin. Um, so there's like lots of moments of resistance and like it didn't begin with Stonewall, which I think like queer people listening to that should be like, we've always been fighting back. It wasn't just one moment. Right. It kind of does it all. There's many moments that lead to it. So, yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, and you and I texted about, which I think, I mean, is a definitely conversation for the moment, um, pride and the world events that are happening around us right now and everything that's happening and sort of how a lot of people are approaching and how a lot of pride organizers are approaching pride as the Black Lives Matter sort of protest rightfully take to the streets and, and, and uh, do what they're doing. Like how, what are your thoughts on how we should recognize pride this year i mean it's interesting this is all happening you know a year after last year's pride which was you know 50th since stonewall world pride i was in new york for it i don't know if you guys were uh, but it was like a really big deal i feel like the whole world was watching new york more than they usually do um and it just didn't feel it felt kind of disjointed last year that we had so much corporate sponsorship, even more than usual, so much like fanfare around this, this celebration of a protest or a riot, really. It was a riot. There were many days. Um, but it didn't feel like a riot. And there was some organizing from the Queer Resistance March, I believe is the name, that you know followed the original Pride Path and pushed back. But generally, the whole thing was pretty like pretty mainstream. Like I was on the Stonewall float um, and I was standing next to Donatella Versace. Like that was... Right. I think, I think oh. Elliot was on the anti-Anne's pretzels float that year because yep. they, they stand strongly <laughs> with their LGBT yep. uh, We love anti-Anne's. They're, right. they're delicious. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so anyway, so this year it's kind of like, I feel like it's karmic, karmic in a way that like last year we didn't do enough protesting and now it's like, listen girls, you, you got to do it. Like now it's like no questions uh, because yeah. the only way you can be in large crowds right now is to protest, um, not mm-hmm. for parades. So I, think I remember that. I remember that last year became sort of like a talking point, maybe even on, on this podcast, but I don't remember, but the idea of like joking about corporate pride became so mainstream and I don't even remember it now because everything is such a fucking shit show. Yeah. yeah I remember like, uh, I think Fran Torado who was at Netflix recently, um, he, he like made a lot of viral posts about corporate pride and how you should get money. And it became a kind of like politic around the corporatization of pride mm-hmm. that like, if you want to do a pride float, you got to give like a hundred thousand dollars to an organization. And in many ways we're seeing that replicated with the Black Lives Matter movement. Like I've never in my life as a journalist who, before I was an editor, covered black lives and police protests, um, police brutality, like corporations never gave money to black organizations like this. And now this yeah. year, fuck pride, fuck the parade. We're routing all this money to the NAACP um, and a lot of queer POC led organizations. So it's really exciting. Well, and that was the thing, I think, I think, I don't know about other cities. I don't know about New, what, how New York is handling. I think theirs is completely virtual. But uh, in Los Angeles, they sort of announced at, after, as the Black Lives Matter protest started that they would do a Black Lives Matter protest themselves, but got into a lot of trouble because they weren't incorporating any people of color, any sort of Black-led queer organizations. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like they, 
they got a lot of heat for it. And I think they even had to call it off. I, I'm not totally sure. Yeah, it's currently the, that first version is gone. And now they've given it all up to um, Black Lives Matter LA. And it's now being called, I think, All Black Lives Matter. And mm-hmm. it's being led by organizers who are engaged to, you know, uh, this work around yeah. uh, police violence and brutality. Yeah, because they just like, I mean, the letter that went viral was like, hey, girls, hey, LAPD, we want you to be a part of our parade or our march, and we want you to walk in it. And that's like antithetical to what these marches and protests are about. Yeah. Um, they really dropped the ball up front. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, one of the things that I think we, I mean, on this podcast, we talk about a lot, the sort of like the political, faux political, thoughty nature of Instagram and mm-hmm. sort of the, you know, they take, they co-opt a very sort of, a political message or a human rights message or whatever. And then they, they somehow are able to do it naked, which is well, like, they, they make it about themselves and they are able to juice any earnest, uh, you know, any earnest feelings or, or thoughts about actual social issues are just juiced right out of it because it's literally all about them and all about their body. Mm-hmm. So annoying, Zach. It's so annoying. The BLM shaved into their pubes. That kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Wait, has someone done that? Has someone shaved BLM? No. <laughs> I, I don't no. know. I'm sure someone was, somewhere has. There but. was there was one I saw, I don't know when, like it had like uh, no guns or something like written on their chest or something. It was yeah. something ridiculous. And it was, uh, I mean, what do you think about thoughts? And I will say it oftentimes is white thoughts who yeah. are co-opting a Black Lives Matter narrative or even just any narrative. It doesn't even have to be for Black Lives Matter right now. Any sort of like humanitarian narrative for their own benefit, social benefit. I mean, it's bullshit. I mean, I think we all know that. It's like terrible. Yeah. It's a terrible thing. And I think, Ellen, you said it best just a minute ago is that they're making it about themselves. And that's the mm-hmm. problem is that, you know, if you're sharing space or sharing a platform with people, it shouldn't be at the kind of the, the pursuit of you getting um, more famous or bigger, bigger platform all the same. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be about, you. it should be about the issue. And when you see some of these influencers who I will leave unnamed <laughs> post <laughs> naked with like, you know, trans live matter on a, cardboard box over their, their pubic area. It's like, this is not about trans life. It's about the capital you're getting of talking about trans lives. And we're seeing a lot of it um, right now in the protests where people like, I've seen many influencers be called out online for bringing photographers with them to take their picture. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's just like, this is crazy. Cause this is like, you're missing the whole like, fucking point. So I think it's really terrible and people are awful when they do it. I think people can learn. So if someone does it, I think you should call them out and then call them in. But some of these girls do it too much. They do it every time. You know what? I I will say I've been pleasantly surprised outside of of the thoughts. I've, I you know, I follow maybe a, a dozen or two dozen buffoons mm-hmm. uh, on Instagram. I don't technically follow them, but I just check in on their profiles once a day because I, I, <laughs> I can't feed the ego. You save their and posts I've so that you can pleasant- go back to them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been pleasantly surprised with a lot of these guys who I never would have thought in a million years were even political mm-hmm. have, have seemingly spoken up a, a good amount. And at least in the, my sort of anecdotal uh, experience, haven't been particularly vapid or ridiculous about it. They've just been kind of talking about how it should be a priority and, and, you know, raising awareness without showing their pubes, which I I've been surprised with. Yeah. I think in, in a good way. 
<clears throat> I mean, I think everyone keeps asking me about like, why is this time different? You know, we've been watching you know, police brutality for a long time. Like all of us can remember maybe that Rodney King in LA mm-hmm. and like, we have so many examples and just in the past six years, we have too many to count, but something about this moment feels different. And part of me, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but one of them is that like, I think people, especially like white folks have done begun to do enough listening and learning to do this better like they're responding better and their response is actually making more impact i think they they fumbled enough like these influencers have fumbled for the past eight years through instagram doing this but now they're like okay we got it we need to like highlight an under-resourced organization we need to not center ourselves we need to actually be in the streets and i think it's great so i think maybe like your anecdotal evidence of brenda showing that like people have changed like yeah. white influence have changed <laughs> yeah I, i'm hopeful of it <clears throat> i had one question that i wanted to ask you because i don't feel like i mean maybe you talk about it a lot i don't know but i it's something that i think about a lot with you as your friend and it's something that i'm i think probably aware of a lot because you are so sort of like you're a journalist, but you're also very vocal online and on Twitter, and you have a you have a following of people who maybe, of course, they're there to sort of hear what you want to hear, what you have to say, but also to get your take on certain things and sort of how you're used and how you're how you're communicating a message. And what I wonder is like, do you ever feel tokenized by people just wanting to know more from you? Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's something that I'm really aware of a lot. And I, I worry about that. I mean, I, I appreciate you asking that because I have been thinking about that a lot since George Floyd died. And also as I've seen people take to the streets and I've been more quiet than I usually am. I'm also not like I used to be a reporter when I was at the Guardian. I was like in the streets. I was like doing investigative work that sometimes resulted in protests happening. You know, I wrote mm-hmm. about like brutalizing people and it causes a lot of people to take to the streets and literally march around Chicago and and tear some stuff up. Um, But like for me, I have spent so much of my life thinking about this, writing about it. And, you know, when this first started happening, I found myself in this interesting situation where I was kind of angry. I was happy everyone was mad and up up in arms, but I was angry it took this long. Like I have counted too many people dead. I mean, every two weeks a trans person of color is murdered and we still aren't stopping that. Like there's like so many numbers, we've released so many lists and it's like 2020 now we're doing something. And I got so many messages from people who I barely spoke to or haven't talked to in years checking in on me. And I just kept thinking, you never checked in on me when I reported on Laquan McDonald. You never checked on me I was in, you know, Kansas City reporting on Deontay Green, who shot in the face. Like, you never checked in, and now you want to check in. Um, And it made me realize that many people that I was close to may not have been paying attention. And I just found that hard to reconcile as someone, as you, HL, you've been with a while, that's just been so loud and and been so vocal and talking about it, that I asked myself, were they just not listening? Or were they listening but not listening, listening? I do think people right now are listening in ways I've never seen in the first few weeks were just really overwhelming. Um, and I saw that tokenization happening. So I just stopped responding to most people. I just, that was what I chose to do. I was like, so a lot of white people, some of them are listening. That's why I didn't respond to you <laughs> because yeah. I was like, I've, I've yelled at you and you just didn't listen. And now I'm just not saying anything for a minute. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I feel about it all. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think that's happening a lot. Go on, Ellie. Wait, so I want to, Brent, you wanted to ask about Jesse. Um, 
right? Yeah. So I, I, I recently did a deep dive and I kind of became, for some reason, did, like when the Jesse Smollett, um, quote, hate crime, end quote, occurred in 2019, I, it just, it, it was at a time of so much contention and I just let it just glide by my radar. Uh, and, and then just recently, like a month ago, I did a deep dive and was like, wow, this, this story is crazy. Right. And Alan uh, told me that you wrote a really, you know, really incredibly thoughtful piece about it. And so I wanted to kind of get your take. I'm a fan of yours. I read it. <laughs> Thank you. I, yeah. So the Jesse stuff, it's so funny you bring that up because like, I, I've been thinking a lot about Jesse, especially because of Amy Cooper, mm-hmm. um, the woman from Central Park who tried to file a false police report to get someone hurt, blah, blah, blah. Like very similar lines. And I've been doing a lot of reading about fake hate crimes like this year for a different project. And with Jesse, what we forget in that moment is that it happened at a time, it was two years into President Trump's presidency we uh i'm assuming everyone has a pretty liberal and maybe voted for not president trump we're feeling exhausted that we could do nothing against this man you know everything we tried it all just fell off in my cellophane um and when jesse happened it was this kind of like aha moment like he is so, when that when that was reported even president trump said it was a terrible thing that happened right. and the right even cared um and then quickly when the police filed charges against Jesse and it all kind of became the crazy story that we know is today. It felt for a moment that we as queer people, especially would have some accountability for the violence we were facing. I mean, just right before that, we had the Charlottesville riots where white supremacists were literally marching and burning things. Um, We had like many of these, the rise of just white supremacy under Donald Trump. Um, And it felt like hopeful and people rallied and, you know, our senators, uh, Senator Kamala Harris and Cory Booker passed anti-lynching legislation on the floor and like all this great shit. Um, But then when it fell apart, you know, President Trump used it and now it's been a weapon against the left ever since. I just think it's like, I, whether Jesse did it or not, it's the question I get asked a lot. And Right now, it's like, we don't know for sure the case is still going on. And I talk a lot to his team because we're still actively reporting on this stuff. Um, but I think like what that case does is it tells each of us where we stand in America on this like, cultural spectrum. Because for me, it's a big cultural war about like what you can gain from it. Because the right uses it so much to say that the left has made us victims. Like President Trump literally, when he the impeachment was announced against him, he got on stage and said... Jesse Smollett is uh, a hoax, and he and what he did to us is a hate crime. It's ammo. Hate crime. Yeah, it's ammo. I think it's, in, it's interesting because I remember one of the reasons I shut it out so quickly was that when the tide started to turn, and it sort of you started to see some pretty objective evidence to suggest that he had staged this itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was disappointed to see that the left on social media, some people refused to hear that in sort of in the face of what I felt having done a deep, you know, a deep dive in so as much as you can just reading things on the internet, you're like, this, it's, it seems pretty open and shut that this was, that this was put on. And even the interviews, this is obviously just kind of personal. Uh, this wouldn't hold up in court, but even the interviews he give are certainly fishy and he says some strange things. And this is, I mean, I'm not obviously trying to shift the blame from Trump being the worst about every single facet of life in the last four years, but it's, it's frustrating. I, I guess it was an example where I just think it's always good to be consistent and, mm. 
And I felt like the left kind of missed an opportunity to be the adult and say, Hey, if this is true, if, if, if this, if this is fake, if this is a fake hate crime, that is a problem. I'm not saying you should, you know, be punished for the rest of your days, but that's, we, I think we should feel comfortable condemning such a thing. And, you know, at least at the time when I kind of started tuning it out, I was like, I was not seeing that sentiment and that disappointed me a little bit. I think, and I think you are totally valid in your disappointment. I think we could, that was a great opportunity for the left to show moral high ground, ethical kind of structure in their own party to be like people, when our people lie or, you know, lead us, we hold them accountable. But, you know, this doesn't take away from the reality that LGBT people of color are getting attacked all the time. Like, so you're completely right that like everyone just kind of dropped the ball, but the person who did not drop the ball was the president of the United States who has consistently used it. He even like this week just is in the news again because they're using everything happen as like why would we believe the left when we couldn't believe jesse smollett so like and that's you're right. why it sucks right. so much it's right. because he jesse in you know allegedly fucking all of this up for the whole community basically like you know lob the ball so trump could spike it yeah. and it, it just that it just makes it so much it just makes it so much i don't worse. know i had whenever that was happening i mean i was I love a good crime story. So I was all about it. Like, I was like, yes, I'm here for this ID channel special. I'm like, I want more of it. But I also kept thinking like, you know, there is, and, and, and Zach, you've, you've written about this. So you are an expert on sort of talking about this, communicating about this, but the whole sort of like how we view black queerness in men specifically and, and the reaction to sort of black queer men. And you look at Jesse Smollett and his very awkward coming out, especially with Ellen and the whole Ellen going backstage and that whole moment of his awkward coming out. And if you could even call it a coming out and how then we treated or we're treating as it continues on his career and his career is basically ruined. I mean, he's probably not coming back for a very long time, but yet Mel Gibson was just nominated for best oh. director Oscar. Um, right. and he, he was an anti-Semite. I mean, argue, you can't even, even argue it. He, yeah. He's a horrible, Racist. horrible human being. And yet he's getting Academy Award nominations. So I, there, I, I, I have been thinking about that a lot as the case was unfolding. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're also exactly right. Challenge is that it's kind of like what I remember when I was reporting the story and I was in LA by that time and I just moved from Chicago and I would ask people like friends at dinner parties like what does justice look like with Jesse because you know the charges were dropped but he already like pay, he paid a fee mm-hmm. he did community service and like what the threshold of that crime of a false report is volunteer and money like so what did you want to happen mm-hmm. and many of them wanted him thrown in jail and I was like well what does that say about you and what you think mm-hmm. of like, bodies and bodies and how do you think justice should operate when like people like Mel Gibson can get an Oscar so I do think yeah. that's why he's such a good symbol now and you know mm-hmm. I think Jesse will forever be stuck in this purgatory of that moment and we will forever use him as something to point to, uh, yeah. to have these conversations. It's, it, I've, I've found myself going down the, that same road of, I think when someone, I'm always arguing uh, on the podcast, I think all three of us do largely, that cancel culture is at times a little extreme and punitive. And yet I found when I was, when it's like your own personal pet peeve project, 
example or, or individual or whatever, you find yourself going down that punitive road where you're like, I don't want him to ever work again. And I don't, and he should go to jail. And I'm like, why am I saying, but like, it's almost like what you just, what you just said, like, I would normally not argue. Yeah. If, if this was just sort of a non-famous case of someone calling the cops on a, I wouldn't be like, throw this person in jail for six months. It's ridiculous. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe when, when, maybe when kind of when fame and attention comes into play, you sort of start to have a slightly different response of like, well, he's going to continue getting the attention that he craves for, you know, for however long his Instagram is popular or whatever. So maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm just lashing out. Yeah. It's, it's certainly inconsistent of me. Definitely. I, I, I've never seen, I mean, of course I'm talking about this forever. Cause I can talk about this for a long time. It's that I never seen a case get people. I hadn't seen a case in a while get people so passionate and impassionate. Like O.J. Simpson's another example of like a crime case that made everyone feel a lot of feelings. Uh, but the Jesse thing is just like every person from my grandmother had a thought and oh, feeling wow. on it. I just never, never saw that before. So I, and I think I, even, I, go ahead. I was going to say like for me, I just, to this day, I'm just like, so what, what was the, what was the, the hope here? Like if it was all faked, was it for, for attention? Like, what, what is this? Are, was it mm-hmm. about spreading a message? Like, I Raging still couldn't profile. tell you what that is. I couldn't tell you what that is. And that's why it's so unfortunate. Yeah, because everyone says, I mean, the police say uh, it was for more money. But uh, it's like, how much money was he going to make, actually? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, was it worth no. girl? Oh. <laughs> oh, so we have two more questions for you that are very sort of like, I think, important to this podcast. First off, your work at Grinder was incredible with Into, and we talk a lot about Grinder culture. In a lot of ways, I think a lot of this podcast was started about so that toxic Grinder culture <laughs> a lot of times. And they just recently lifted um, the racial preferences on, on the app, which is, I think, a very great step in the right direction. Uh, but having someone, you, who worked so closely within the Grinder universe and had to sort of, and we even talked about it when you took the job, when we had that meeting at um, the Abbey, I think it was, where we talked, oh, yeah. about, we talked about sort of the, the, the separation between Grinder and the culture of Grinder and what you intended to do being an inclusive online magazine within two. So like, what do you say about Grinder culture and why is it so fucking toxic? I mean, I said this when I worked there. Um, that like Grinder and why I took the job is that Grinder is really representative of I think the world at large. I think it just takes it down to a microcosm, and you're able to see kind of without any of the facade what people are thinking, feeling, wanting, desire. Uh, and I've always, throughout my whole career, been very interested in desire as a point of you know excavation and learning about people. Um, how I got into a lot of this you know crime reporting in my early twenties when I first met you, H. Allen was like was due to police, but also was mostly about how police um, were not responding to hate crimes. And like, and hate crimes many times are desire-based. So it's usually someone that hates another person because they remind them of themselves and all this stuff. So that's desire for me. Kind of really spawns how people really feel and do terrible things. So Grinder was always interesting to me. And coming there, I was thinking like, this could be a great opportunity to kind of take some of the structures and reimagine them and work within the house. And and I think we still don't believe or understand that, you know, our bedrooms are not, not political, that they are places in which real life floods in and what we're dealing with out in the world happens there. And I think I've had an acute awareness of that as a mixed person where, like, my parents' love was illegal for a long time. We faced our own shit. So, like, I've seen that. 
And I think I just really wanted Grinder to confront that when I was there. You know, I created the Kinder campaign years yes. ago, um, which was an attempt. And I think like a lot of, I love that you like give me a lot of praise for my time at Grinder, but I think like we also did fuck up some and we made mistakes. And yeah, but we, we celebrated Kinder because that was so <laughs> right. great and, and okay. truly like really important, really important. And that's what I was thinking. I remember telling the staff there, uh, I, we had a meeting and I said, Matthew Rodriguez is a person that's a person on Twitter, that's really great, a writer, and he was helping advise this, this, this project too. And, and we had this radical idea that if we, we knew that when people opened Grindr and you saw abs and you saw white bodies, it told you that that was what was valuable. But what would happen if we didn't allow that? We switched mm-hmm. the narrative put different types of bodies like you saw kinder to the forefront and we got a lot of pushback on that but we also got a lot of people being open to the experiment and being open to the reality that like it is hard to live in a world that says only abs are what works and that abs be like cool and that happiness is there because we even know with like white gay men with abs they are miserable they are terrible like terrible in this world so we need to let that go and i think what I love most about my time at Grindr, because there were some bad moments too, is that like it gave me a space to like have those hard conversations and create projects that helped us as a community begin to talk about that in a real way. Um, and I think that's what makes Grindr a special place, but also makes it a toxic place. Because as we know, when you're having hard conversations, like you either can like get someone or they're going to run away from you. And a lot of people like, like to run away on Grindr. So I don't know. It's just like... <laughs> Tell me about it, right. like... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a place that like, I think when the world gets better, Grinder will get better, but we can't expect Grinder to do better than what we mm-hmm. do on the street. But it's, I mean, but the different, but the, the, the irony there is, I don't know if it's ironic even, but the idea of like, I've said this so many times, the idea that you could filter out who you see by race okay. is the definition of like, Dis- the most disgusting version of racism and the fact yeah. that Grindr and other apps too could get away with that in a way that I would hope Tinder or OkCupid or eHarmony couldn't made me so fucking nuts because oh, yeah. it's just blatant, dis- like it's, it's racism at its ugliest core. Yeah. And I <laughs> literally, literally, <laughs> and I'm so glad that it's, that they got rid of that, but I hate that it took, Black Lives Matter and, you know, Plues Brutality to get that, to get mm-hmm. that flip in 2020. Like, I know, I, I know it could be naive of me, but I'm like, this should have been the case from go. How, how could you present to already a small faction of people in like a toxic environment, being able to filter out people by the color of their skin? That's awful. Because it's a preference. But I, I think have, uh, Elliot, I hate people. The energy you're giving and what you just said, like I, I want people not to forget because it's kind of I took what you said as something I was saying earlier about feeling angry that people cared about Black Lives more now because it's like you and I both know that like you, you all have been ignoring this shit forever. Like Grinder was ignoring the racism forever until it became cool and like great to switch it, you know, and so on and so forth with all these companies. So I think it's like, we can sit here and be like, yay, I'm glad it's gone. But I think there's still a lot of validity to say, what the fuck took so long and how many people did you hurt by sitting there and doing nothing? Cause I think it helps people as we look to the future and dream of what, you know, equity and freedom look like in the future, they'll be more rushed to fish, fix these things. Cause it's like, I hope you're not, so. 
yeah, I just don't want you to sit here and being like, you get your flowers now and we erase like all these years of no. you know, shit. That's kind of what white supremacists are saying about slavery. They're like, we ended slavery. Why are black people upset? It's like, no, there are real structural reasons how we're still oppressed, how we are continuously oppressed. And it's like grinder, you know, taking away the race filter is step one, but there needs to be a lot of other follow-up steps too. So within yeah. that social issue too. Well, Zach, I think I can speak for all three of us. Say we love you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, for dropping you so, so many good, uh, intelligent bombs on us that I think it's just, you just are so perfect. So where can people find you on the internet? Twitter. It's probably the best place. Yeah. Like crazy. Place, and Twitter I can't, I mean, I, to our listeners, I have to say, if you're looking for someone who has a real perspective on sort of the moment, and if you want to follow someone before they like win a Pulitzer someday, like do it now. Follow Zach Stafford. Uh, thank, thank you, Zach. Thanks so for much. being here, Zach. Thanks, Zach. Yeah. I'd see you later. Bye, guys. And another thing. So, uh, as they say in the view, we have a correction to make. We have a correction. <laughs> we have. Uh, I'm Joy. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> I have a correction. Um, my correction. It's not Gryffindor. It's Dumbledore that's gay. I know that Gryffindor is a house. You idiots. Don't get angry. You're not an idiot, but I love you. But you're dumb for <laughs> hating for hating me for that. Don't hate. Don't hate. <laughs> don't hate. Don't hate. Don't um, hate. 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 J.K. Rowling. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> Okay, so there was this really interesting article that I was reading on a site called Mel Magazine, and I'm cueing Brent's I, laugh there. <laughs> I'm yeah. actually, I've been published there. Thank you. Oh, okay. They pay well, very well. They also have like really interesting, I mean, I, the content For some is reason I was picturing it was like an Australian lesbian newspaper. <laughs> no, it's news the, magazine. It's the Dollar Shave Club one, right? Isn't that it? Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, Wait, I think It's a that's... magazine about the Dollar Shave no, Club? No, 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 no. It's their like, uh, it's their like, media brand or whatever that they own that it's oh. like it's like a men's oh. magazine online magazine oh melmagazine.com yeah. got it yeah um and yeah so they write some, it. some pretty interesting stuff and um <clears throat> a lot about like men's stuff but it also you know veers into like queer queer commentary and mm -hmm. um one of this article this article was written about the idea of something called pick me gaze, right. pick me two words, which we've alluded, which we've alluded to in the past in some of mm -hmm. our discussions. Go ahead, Elliot. Yeah, basically the idea is it's a takeoff on the pick me girl, and the pick me girl on social media is the conceit. Uh, 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 sorry, the the sort of the woman on social media who positions herself as quote not like the other girls to then gain attention of mm -hmm. you know a love interest like. I mean, the first thing I think of is Katy Perry calling her album one of the boys, you know, sort of playing mm -hmm. that sexy uh, tomboy kind of I'm different vibe, you know. And um, this writer writes about how there is this this uh, this this um, group of pick me gays, this idea that uh, you're a queer version of a simp. And a simp is a young man who's in straight culture, subserv subservient to women to win them over. Lots, lots of definitions. So many acronyms. So far. And, yeah. Lots of acronyms and definitions. <laughs> wow. And, but but let's boil it down briefly. Sure. It's, it's seemingly it's people who will. I, I, maybe I'm being a little crass here, but it's not thoughty or not super hot people who are doing all they can to get. Uh, there's sort of like the the Lafue to Gaston where they're like just trying to be Gaston's like favorite person, even though Gaston couldn't care less. This is a Beauty and the Beast reference. 
Gaston couldn't oh, care less about. They know. Yeah, they, they know. know. <laughs> couldn't care less about any of them. And that's sort of that's how I construe this, which is like yeah. people who are saying everything you do is great, and you're so hot, and you're so hot, and you're so hot. Yeah. In the off chance that this really hot person will be like, oh, you're the one who I want to fuck or something, uh, or yeah, chat with, or DM. I don't know. I feel like that's my love life before Michael. Right. <laughs> what? Doing yeah, that? yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean, funny. You should love me because I'm different from the I mean, others, but I'm in on the joke. That's the right, uh, like, simplification, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And one, uh, the idea is, and you've talked about this before. Well, you guys have, we've all talked about this before. The idea that even if these people don't know each other, you know, somebody will swoop into an instigate's comments. And let's say the instigate, believe it or not, posts something um, hypersexual, but it's meant to be, a, you know, about raising awareness for some cause. Sure, sure. And people, understandably, in the comments are like, "This is bullshit." They, you know, they'll come for the instigate because we've moved into that direction. Us. And then, yes, us. But yeah. then <laughs> the idea that there are these people who, in the comments, they they they're the first to, you know, they're the first to defend the instigate, and. That's yeah. the phenomenon I find yeah. so depressing. Is it's like so weird. I I always equate it with, I always call it shit job loyalty. Like mm-hmm. when I was in high school, and I would always try to, I would always order a water, but I would pour a coke when I was at Arby's or Pepsi because Arby's only car- covers <laughs> carries Pepsi products, and then the employees would always catch me and. It's like, fine, fair enough. But dude, you're making six bucks an hour, man. Like, why are you getting mad yeah. at me? We're yeah. all raging against the machine here. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've always, together. I've always kind of thought, I mean, one of the things that I think, I think we talked about it on the podcast before too, that, that when, you know, you have the people, you know, I would say the normal gays out there who um, are responding affirmatively to these Insta thoughts for like doing something ridiculous or they seem to be supporting this kind of behavior. I think a lot of times because the whole Instagram algorithm and the relationship that we create with these Insta thoughts is about recognition. It's about the idea that the beautiful person, the Adonis has, has liked my reply or has replied to me or responded to my DM or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's that, it's that gratification of recognition from the Insta thought that then keeps them coming back and supporting them. I think because we have this fucked up hierarchy that, this beauty matters. And if they recognize you, then you somehow matter when in like reality, right. like I always, I had this joke in my act years ago where I was like, you know, the pretty people are always fucking the pretty people and the ugly people are always fucking the ugly people. And it's the average people who are always lusting for the pretty people and like missing out on all the cool Rejecting average and like, right, yeah. Right. And it's like, it's this whole hierarchy thing. And that's really what's happening. We're missing out on the really awesome average people. Well, so it's, it's crazy. I mean, um, uh, this, uh, this guy B Greater, who's like a Instagram, Instagram like, I guess influencer, but he's kind of like a, he does like funny memes and stuff. He said, um, "There, his first thought is always sounds very funny. influential." Go ahead, sir. <laughs> no, he's he's funny, and and he uh, he he said in this in this interview, he said, you know, my, in this article, excuse me, my first thought is always they're not going to fuck you just because you're defending them. Right, he says, right. Gays are so interested in assimilating in heterosexual culture that they would throw their own community under the bus. But to align yourselves with someone that you think is hot, you know, it doesn't really have so much to do with what they believe in. It's just, it's not even about what they're talking about. It's just to like, just to be there, yeah. just to be part of the conversation, even when they're not, which I agree is, it's, so it's, it's guest, it's Gaston and LeFew. I mean, like, 
I, I, not to go back to Beauty and the Beast here, but it's it's like oh, I love it. Please. like the most yeah. pathetic. He's the most like I I actually think I dislike Lafeu. Is it is that how you say it? Fuck it, the fucking thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I dislike Lafeu more than I dislike Gaston for the most part because like he's just like so pathetic, and he uh, his whole existence is sort of just trying to exist in this orbit around someone who he openly deems superior to himself. And it's just like, what a, what a pathetic thing. Like, just do, do your own thing. Like, do you think that yeah. yourself. A, a, a version of this is as depressing as that is, do you think a version of this is as the writer of this article brings up? Um, the idea is like, there's something earnest here. The idea that somebody, a queer person in a small town or a community without a scene to turn to finds pseudo friendship in this. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think I think there's a con- I mean, like I said, there's it's all about the connecting and the validation of that connection. And I think I'm just saying, Lafu is just trying to like kiss up to Gaston, but and and just kind of like suck his dick. But yeah, right. Is there a version of this where Lafu just is like, I need a fr- Lafu, whatever that a gay <laughs> a gay person is like, I need a. Fr- this is my friend. Or is well, that- yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally it. They, the validation ha- creates this sort of like fake Instagram friendship, relationship, whatever, that you think this person matters. And though, and thus, like, you ha- you feel compelled to comment on this loser's page that you've never met before, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and, no, and, but I think, I think Elliot's asking, like, is there an act, like, like, does that actually, are you asking, does that actually lead to connection? Like, do you no, think no, that? I just, I, I wonder if there's a difference between, if there is, if it actually exists, that it's not even so much sexual, but it's like, this is, it's an imagined friend. I think that's exactly what it is. I don't think it's ever sexual. I think it is all about the validation that they get from it, that they get from that connection. See, the idea though, I mean, the writer talks about the idea of of a pick me gay in particular, maybe wanting a friendship, but also very clearly having this sort of, as B. Grader says, this sort of delusion that they're going to, like fuck them or something or have some sort of sexual interaction with them just because they're running you know, up in defense of them. You know, what's funny. I actually have, I haven't followed through, but there's, <laughs> I've talked about him. I've talked about him before on the podcast. There's this really hot UCLA student who's, um, Oh yeah. I follow on Instagram and he's going to med school <laughs> and oh my God. I, you know, I used to work at, I used to work at Kaplan. So I knew all about the MCATs, which is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the test, the standardized test you take to get into med school. And he did really well. And I spent like, when he posted his scores once, I spent like a day thinking like how I should tell him what a great job he did. Cause he did, <laughs> he did do insanely well. And, and then of course, of course I'm, I'm you know, every, every two minutes I'm like, Brent, what are you doing yeah, with why? your life? Why? why would you do, why would you, yeah. first of all, he doesn't care that this random guy yeah. thinks he did well. He did, he objectively did well in the MCATs. Who gives him, like, what? He didn't yeah. post them so I could be like, great job. <laughs> but that's, so but I, that's I, it. I get the instinct, but I will give myself credit for not following. Through. Well, I mean. I give you credit too. I do too. <laughs> I, I just think at the end of the day, no one fights like Gaston. No one spits like Gaston. <laughs> in a spit. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> What would your aunt say? Brent, what would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's podcast? Constructive feedback. One too many LeFou references. (laughs) My aunt Anne would say, can you pick me gay on Facebook? 
You took my Aunt Anne. No. Well, I mean, you said Aunt Anne, which is oh, why. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, my yeah. Aunt Joanne would say. I mean, <laughs> she would take you. She would take you. Well, what what about your Aunt Anne? Well, my Aunt Anne would say, that J.K. Rowling, she thinks she's so smart. Her name's Joanne. <laughs> Joanne. J.K., my ass. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe. Uh, I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. I'm H. Alan Scott. All right. J.K.H. Alan Scott. J.K. <laughs> <laughs>